0: Welcome to CV Now, a podcast from Houston Methodist DeBakey CV Education. Each week, we'll be introducing you to fascinating people from across the spectrum of cardiovascular medicine, with interviews of the experts by the experts. I'm your host, George Tripsis. DeBakey CV Education is dedicated to creating globally accessible, comprehensive cardiovascular education for health professionals at every level. For those of you who can't make it to Houston for all our hands-on events, we bring the training to you with our live stream conferences, our vast YouTube library, and now this podcast.
1: It is a heterogeneous group of patients. It's not one disease process. It's any number of anatomic abnormalities, which are together lumped under the name of congenital heart disease. This week we're taking a look at the growing specialty
0: of adult congenital heart disease or ACHD. Over the last several decades, remarkable improvements in surgery for children born with congenital heart disease has transformed it from a death sentence to a chronic illness. Patients are living longer than ever, creating a relatively new patient population, adults with congenital heart disease. This rapidly growing group of patients has unique needs for ongoing care. Not fitting the profile of most adult cardiovascular patients, the following interviews will feature ACHD specialists giving us insight into opportunities and challenges for cardiovascular physicians in the ACHD field. In this first interview, doctors Thomas McGilvery and Ari Cedars will introduce us to the unique needs of ACHD patients. Dr. McGilvery is the Chief of Cardiac Surgery and Thoracic Transplant at Houston Methodist DeBakey Heart and Vascular Center and a leader in Houston Methodist Adult Congenital Heart Program. Dr. Cedars is a cardiologist specializing in adult congenital heart disease at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. He leads the ACHD Research Interest Group for the National Patient Center Outcomes Research Network and is on the administrative board for the Alliance for Adult Research in Congenital Cardiology.
2: I'd like to welcome everyone to our speaker series. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Tom McGilvery, I'm the Chief of Cardiac Surgery and Thoracic Transplant Surgery here at Houston Methodist. And, and it is a real pleasure to have with me today Dr. Ari Cedars, who was our grand round speaker. Uh, Ari is a, uh, a cardiologist who specializes in adult congenital heart disease. And he gave a terrific talk this morning uh, about uh, durable ventricular assist devices for patients with adult congenital heart disease. So welcome, Ari. Thank you very um, much, Tom. And uh, nice to have you here. I'd like to start out, could you just give us a little background about yourself and what got you interested in medicine, cardiology, and adult congenital heart disease? So uh, each of those is a separate question.
1: <laughs> uh, I get interested in medicine Probably later in life, everybody in my family was a physician, my grandfather was a physician, my father and all his brothers and sisters are physicians, and I went to school and the last thing in the world I wanted to be was a physician. I, uh, I wanted to run as far away from that as possible, I actually was a history major, um, and I wanted to have a career in history. Uh, and ultimately, my thesis advisor told me, you know, if you're good at science, go do medicine. You'll have a stable career. You can always do history on the side. Maybe she was telling me something about my skills <laughs> in, in history or my, you know, my knowledge. Um, so I ultimately ended up going to medical school. Didn't really like it that much. Um, I decided that I wanted to do... Uh, and so in the summer after my first year of medical school, as like a summer job. I worked in a laboratory, did a kind of a laboratory internship. And I loved that. I decided, that's it. I want to be a basic scientist. I don't like this cardiology stuff. So then I actually applied to go to graduate school uh, for biology. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have a history major and you have a minor in French and you want to go to graduate school in biochemistry? No. No. So the gentleman in whose lab I was working said, you know, you can still do research as a with an MD and as as a cardiologist or as a as just a regular physician you just you go do your your um, uh, internal medicine training go do fellowship training and select a fellowship that's got kind of a research meant to it and that's what you should pursue um, while you're a fellow and take some years to, to spend doing that and establish a career for yourself and so I did I took his advice which at the time I thought was sage and um, so I went to, uh, I did my residency at uh, University of Michigan and then started fellowship at uh, Washington University. And as soon as I was done with my clinical years, I went to the basic science laboratory. Um, and I first worked on the training grant and then got my own grants to, to do some more work. And after four, four and a half years in basic science, I was like, man, this is, I've had enough. This is, it's, I, I became quite jaded with the whole process of basic science. And while I had been working in the laboratory, just through happenstance, I had wanted to maintain contact with clinical cardiology. And the, one of the older professors invited me to see patients with him in clinic. And he happened to be the provider taking care of the adults with congenital heart disease at Washington University. He's a man named Phil Ludbrook. And... I loved it. I loved taking care of the patients. I loved the interactions that he had with his patients and the relationship that he had with his patients. It seemed to be unique and different from that that I saw other cardiologists have with their patients. And so I said, you know what, if I'm going to return to clinical medicine, this is what I want to do. So I asked my uh, division chief at the time, Doug Mann, if I could return to cardiology and do an additional year of training at the pediatric hospital, uh, St. Louis Children's Hospital. And he said, sure if you'll round for everybody on the weekends, you can go and do whatever you want. Um, And so I spent a year uh, doing rounding for the uh, cardiology service on the weekends and and got my congenital training and then joined the faculty in 2011.
2: Well, it's great. It's nice to see that no matter how you start or despite uh, our best intentions that uh, you end up in the right place.
1: That's right. Life is serendipitous like
2: that. End up, but truly uh, for the audience, uh, Ari is a, is a, is a world recognized uh, leader in adult congenital heart disease. Can can you tell us about adult congenital heart disease? I mean, I think that the average physician and and even many cardiologists think it's a niche practice. It's kind of studying one stone in the mosaic. Can you can you give us some thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. So. Um, and, and I think that the average practitioner could be forgiven for thinking that because it is relatively rare. It's, it's probably 1% of the general population that has some form of congenital heart disease. And the majority of those patients have simpler forms. So, you know, a bicuspid aortic valve, a ventricular septal defect, or an atrial septal defect. Um, and, and the more complex forms of congenital heart disease are far rarer. And so it is a niche field, but it's a field that's growing. It's one in 40,000 live births, and, and patients are living longer than ever, and there are just a lot more years between 18 and death than there are between 0 and 18, so the adult congenital population is going to continue to grow. It is a heterogeneous group of patients. It's not one disease process. It's any number of anatomic abnormalities which are together lumped under the name of congenital heart disease. Um, And so really what I am doing is seeing all of the breadth of pediatric cardiology practice, all of the breadth of anatomical abnormalities with which individuals may be born, the repairs which those individuals get in childhood, overlaid with acquired heart disease, with which most people are familiar, coronary vascular disease, late onset atrial fibrillation, heart failure. And so it's, it's, I see kind of all of those form the facets of, of what I take care of in, in adult congenital heart disease practice.
2: So why, as some people have asked, why shouldn't these patients, these adults who were born with pediatric heart disease, why shouldn't they just continue to be cared for by their pediatric cardiologist in their pediatric heart centers?
1: It's really a question of familiarity with with acquired heart disease as well as familiarity that we in the community are still developing with the kind Mm -hmm. of stereotyped and predictable ways with which prior repairs will deteriorate over time. Um, those are the kind of two unique aspects of adult congenital heart disease care. And I, just a, a, as an anecdote to, to d- demonstrate, I remember when I was doing my training at the pediatric hospital, and they had an ECG conference every, every um, uh, I think, one day a week. And they'd go through ECGs, and it's all, in the pediatric pra- practice, it's predominantly arrhythmias and vector abnormalities and such. And I remember at one time they showed this ECG and all the pediatric fellows looked at the ECG and said, I don't know, it, it kind of looks normal, rhythm's normal, uh, everything looks fine. And then the, the presenter who knew I was the adult trained in, in the group said, I said, and Ari, what do you think of this? And I said, this patient needs to go to the cath lab. It was a patient with it was an ECG with an ST elevation MI. And it's just something that yeah. pediatric cardiologists don't see because it's a part of what they don't, it doesn't happen very often in that population. And if it does, it's largely iatrogenic and they kind of know when it's happened or they identify that it's happened. So, for, um, so I, I think that's just illustrative of, of right. a unique knowledge and skill set that, that we can bring to, to caring for our patients.
2: And you you, uh, pointed out in your talk this morning that the number of adults with congenital heart disease are are growing and has now surpassed the number of children with congenital heart disease. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure, so um, probably
1: since the late 90s or early 2000s, the number of patients born with congenital heart disease who are over the age of 18 has exceeded the number uh, who are younger than the age of 18. And that, that's actually a testament to the success of, of our pediatric cardiology colleagues and, and, and of pediatric cardiac surgeons who have, have really, through remarkably ingenious um, uh, development, surgical developments as well as, as, as excellent care, allowed these people who previously would have, by and large, died during mm-hmm. childhood to live into adulthood. But, um, and, and then they, they develop a unique set of problems that, that I and my field take care of. And I, I anticipate that the adult congenital population will continue to grow. Eventually it will level off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the um, nature isn't making any more heart defects uh, uh, and there's no new exposure in the environment that I'm aware of that's, that's making heart defects more common. Um, and so probably, you know, there's going to be a backfilling and ultimately there will probably, it will probably level off at, at, you know, maybe three or four times as many adults with congenital heart disease as, as pediatric patients with congenital heart disease. But that really highlights another problem that, that we're just starting to address, which is the... Inadequate number of adult congenital heart disease providers in the community in the United States when there are more pediatric Cardiology providers than adult congenital providers in spite of the fact that there are more patients with adult congenital heart disease And so this the, the medical system as a whole is really going to probably have to change to meet this this increasing need um, in, in the Western world
2: and we, and we are seeing all kinds of issues that we would never anticipated I think many of these kids were fixed. They were patted on the head and sent on their way, uh, but are, are coming back with any number of problems. I mean, today you gave a great talk about heart failure in the adult congenital heart disease population. Can you, can you expand on that for us? Sure. Um, so we now
1: know that I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that anybody with chronic heart disease would experience higher rates of hospitalization than people who are unaffected by chronic heart disease. We know that patients with congenital heart disease are specifically getting admitted to the hospital with one of three things, follow-up procedures, kind of maintenance of whatever repair they had as a child, abnormal heart rhythms, and heart failure. And Heart failure has a particularly nefarious prognosis. After admission with heart failure, as I was talking about earlier today, there's a 20 to 25% chance of mortality within one year. And so um, in recognition of that, uh, if we wanna do what's best for our patients, we need to start investigating what threshold we should use for taking that next step. When do we need to refer a patient with congenital heart disease for consideration for transplant, heart transplant, or mechanical circulatory support to help prevent these bad outcomes from happening.
2: Because I was uh, struck by one of the things in your talk that it seemed as if patients with congenital heart disease with heart failure are different from the traditional heart failure patient that we see. They're, they go from being not sick enough, not sick enough, to too sick for a heart transplant. Uh, Tell us about that some more.
1: Yeah, I think there are probably two reasons for that. One is just that the the population with heart failure tend to be probably two to three decades younger than those with acquired heart disease, and as a result, they have greater physiologic reserve and they can kind of go along and function in spite of severe cardiac dysfunction for longer periods of time. but secondly, congenital heart disease is a result of the anatomic abnormalities and the repairs that, that, that um, go with, the, go with the, the subject or with the area. Um, it, it, it doesn't manifest always in the same way as heart failure in, in the general population. And frequently, congenital heart disease uh, patients will experience heart failure that's attributable to right ventricular instead of left ventricular failure, which, the latter of which is far more common in the acquired heart disease population or in single ventricle patients. Um, they have a unique way that they present with, with um, heart failure. And so as a result of, of kind of the unique presentation of heart failure and congenital heart disease, as well as the fact that it occurs at a much younger age, the, the um, identification and treatment of heart failure and adult congenital heart disease is going to be distinct from that in the in the acquired heart disease population and we're really just starting to understand um, what thresholds we need to use to um, to, to 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 optimally treat uh, to optimally refer the patients before bad things happen and and then how to um, what what options therapeutic options are are best for them and unfortunately um, Neurohumoral modulation and goal directed medical therapy, analogous to what we use and what has been so successful in the acquired heart disease population with heart failure, um, it has not been proven beneficial to this point in the adult congenital heart disease population. And so that's what our, our therapeutic armamentarium has, has fewer tools at its disposal.
2: In the dogma, uh that you hear is, oh, you know, these patients, their anatomy is really complicated and their, uh, the results with transplant aren't very good, and so therefore, because of the limited resource of donor hearts, that maybe they're not best uh, given to adults with congenital heart disease. Is that, is that, a, is that the dogma, conventional wisdom? I mean, you, you, you presented some very interesting information and data today that would refute that conventional wisdom.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, it, it, that may be the dogma, and if that's the dogma, it's wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I can understand why people <laughs> thought that for sure, um, but it's, I, I think that congenital heart disease patients really, they, the at least in recent history, do just as well as acquired heart disease patients with heart transplant, and in fact, uh, Probably do even better long term, um, just because they they have uh, they're healthier going into the surgery. Frequently, they just their whole physiology is younger and and, and better adapted. Um, they haven't had decades over which uh, they have abused their body or or the environment has abused their body and, and have led to deterioration in other organ function. Um, and so, I, I and and furthermore they, you know they're they're compelling people. Um, and I know that that shouldn't be necessarily a criteria for, for, and it shouldn't change the care that you provide to a patient. But ah, it makes me feel, like I, I there, you know, there, there. I feel, I feel, and it may just be this relationship that I alluded to earlier that I have with my patients. Mm-hmm. But I feel attached to my patients, and I want to fight for them, and, and, um, and, and so, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the, yes, a, there was maybe some some bias in the community that, that congenital heart disease patients didn't somehow, uh, they weren't going to be as good a shepherd of the organ or they weren't going to take as good a care of it. But I, I don't know that that's actually true, and, and I'm
2: vehemently against that, that bias. So how can we who are uh, focused on caring for patients with uh, congenital heart disease, adults with congenital heart disease, how can we better partner and message to... The heart failure community uh, uh, how we can better take care of these patients Uh, to the greater heart failure community and to the general cardiology community
1: um, and and even to the general practice Mm -hmm. community i think the message should be that congenital heart disease is a unique problem and it requires specialized care and there are warning signs that somebody unfamiliar with the field might miss and that could be that that a patient is at a time when when an intervention is necessary to prevent an adverse outcome and so refer to a congenital heart disease specialist doesn't mean you're giving your patient away but for co-management of your patient so that you know that you're doing what's right for your patient to provide them with the best care that you can
2: how do you think uh, how do you think as we continue to move forward what are the exciting things on the horizon uh, in the management of patients with congenital heart disease?
1: So that's a good question. I, I, it, the talk I gave today was about mechanical circulatory support in adults with congenital heart disease. Given the high incidence of heart failure in this population, I think that is one of the forefronts um, of, of kind of excitement um, for um, uh, medical technology. But I think there needs to be a change in the way that we approach research for congenital heart disease. I think that the way that we've traditionally identified efficacious therapies in the acquired heart disease population with large scale clinical trials, identifying um, you know, the benefits of a drug based on you know, a, a, um, an absolute risk reduction of one or 2% among thousands of patients, we're never gonna do that trial. In congenital heart disease a population is far too heterogeneous and far too small um, and i think that we need to really change the research paradigm we need to identify outcomes that are more sensitive to clinical change than hard clinical outcomes be they hospitalization or mortality i think that we need to do a better job of identifying heterogeneity and treatment effects by specifically including patients at high risk for adverse events in intervention trials um, so that we can augment event rates and augment the, the probability of detecting a beneficial effect. And I think just changing the whole research structure is really what needs to be done to start moving forward with, with identifying efficacious therapies in this population.
2: So you, uh, are you an advocate of multi-center societies-based Investigation and collaboration. Whether I'm an
1: advocate of it or not, I think that that's the <laughs> only way that we're going to get this research done. Because you know, all 10 of the patients with you know a dual in that left ventricle that we may follow at my institution it, it is not going to be adequate to do to do an, a meaningful clinical investigation.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to say, I, I on behalf of all of us here in Houston, we really are honored by your presence, and we were privileged to have you here with us today. I want to thank you very much. Thank you.
1: It's a privilege to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great.
2: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.
1: The growing ACHD
0: population means there is an increasing need for general cardiologists to work with ACHD specialists to optimally manage these patients.
3: Uh, We do have more adults with congenital heart disease than kids with congenital heart disease because of the rapid improvement in how we do surgery in kids, that have survived to adulthood. They do come with us all sorts of different problems that are different than those with acquired heart disease, and therefore they need a special group of people that would take care of them.
0: Next, we'll hear from Dr. Hani Najam, Chair of Pediatric and Congenital Heart Surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. William Zogby, Chair of the Department of Cardiology at Houston Methodist. They'll give us a closer look at the opportunities for innovation in the ACHD space.
4: Hello, I'm Bill Zogby. I'm the chair of cardiology here at Houston Methodist and the DeBaker Heart and Vascular Center. And it's great to have with us today, Dr. Hani Nejim. He is the chief of the division of congenital heart disease at the Cleveland Clinic and surgeon by excellence. Hani, it's great to have you. Thank you so much, Bill, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. We really enjoyed your grand rounds today. It, was, it opened up, to me at least, uh, one, the complexity of adult congenital heart disease and what can be done about it. And, uh, and we reflected a bit as to uh, why aren't we seeing as many of these patients, particularly the some of these patients are growing in numbers so much. Uh, what, do you think, what do you think the problem is? Um, Lack of awareness or? I think, uh, <coughs> Bill, uh, as you've alluded to, this
3: is a young specialty, and I think it's growing uh, by the day. We know that at this time, uh, we do have more adults with congenital heart disease than kids with congenital heart disease because of the rapid improvement in how we do surgery in kids that have survived to adulthood. They do come with us all sorts of different problems, that are different than those with acquired heart disease. And therefore, they need a special group of people that would take care of them because they are not the usual heart surgery. They are heart surgery, but in a different way. And uh, indeed, uh, these are patients who have to have a dedicated team of expertise that deals with them day in, day out. They do identify who they are, what they do. and They do identify how they present when they are sick because as we've discussed this morning, is that the outcome of of interventions, whether it is medical or surgical, is dependent on when you catch them and how you catch them.
4: Even catheter-based surgery. Exactly, yes. You know, our adult congenital heart disease program has been in existence only about, I would say, six years or so. There's exponential growth in it. And I could see where the needs of the patients are because they want to be in an adult facility. These individuals are growing. And at the same time, the possibilities of catheter-based in addition to the complex situations that you really shared with us, and at times it's just like you know, above our head as to the complexity of the situation, which speaks for hopefully that we could do it all together, more awareness in the primary care community where some of these patients are maybe lingering the cardiologists themselves and say, well, there are so many other different options for these patients and a place for innovation that you really shared with us today. And I I loved your portion about innovation.
3: Absolutely, (laughs) Bill, and this is where actually, I think we, we can make a difference on those patients. Because when you have this dedicated team who takes care of them and are able to bring in these problems and have solutions for them, and it, it is nothing better than what you've done, is create a team that will take care of them. Because, and you know what? You'll be surprised, you're gonna be hiring more and more people in there. And if there are, as, I was, uh, as we were saying, if you're a young cardiologist around, a young cardiac surgeon, this is an area that you wanna actually learn, because that is an area that'll be in a great need, and they are very special. This speaks special for the group. centers of excellence that we talked about
4: because you need a team, I know the heart team concept has been more put to the front because of valvular heart disease etc but this is even <laughs> where the need is you need anesthesiologists who are comfortable with it catheter based specialists surgeons absolutely uh, nurses and and everybody else and I think that's really amazing
3: yeah and and the innovations are going to continue with this because we haven't seen even what they will present to us you know when you're when you're thinking a uh, what happens to a, a, a repaired tetralogy in 30 years? We don't know what's gonna happen in 40 years. Well, we don't know what's gonna happen in 50 years when you follow them. So these are the patients are gonna continue to come in with newer problems that we have to innovate for them and how we can deal with them.
4: I'm gonna tackle two medical questions related to your grand rounds. One is the unroofing of the coronary artery that you mentioned. I think it's amazing surgery. And the question from a cardiologist's perspective is who are these because you see them nowadays, you see them on CT scans because CT is much more available Uh, at times. uh, I I think that's probably most likely where you're going to see them most of the time. Who are the ones that should be managed medically versus surgically? And amazing
3: questions. I wish I have an answer to that, (laughs) but I have some insights to this. You are absolutely, this is, this is the million dollar question and you know what? We don't know the answer to this, and there's a large uh, actually, study now going on see, in Congenital Heart Surgeon Society looking at this, because really, it's not even close to the guidelines. Who are the ones who are really, and every now and then, still in the news. Now we, we, you see somebody who is dropping dead, <clears throat> and you would say, well, this is not fair. These are healthy, young individuals who just dropped dead. Why haven't we been able to catch them before? So there's a lot of unknowns there. And
4: what we're trying to do it, I least would love to have to see a registry or something. Exactly. Exactly. These because, because compared to the other much more complex things that you shared with us,: Exactly. This is either you do this or that, and it is simple. Exactly rather simple.
3: Totally agree with you. It is a simple and an enjoyable operation, and it does the job. So the question is, how? You know, I think there have to be a systematic approach for those. And it's not enough to say, well, well, he's done fine, he doesn't know. I think there have to be, unfortunately, some invasive testing that has to be included. As you've indicated very clearly now with the CTNG, we're seeing more and more of them incidental. Yes. Are you going to actually sit on them or not? Which are the dangerous ones? And I think we should be able to resort into more invasive. I think pressure wires have to be included in the investigation. We're trying to do this now prospectively, seeing whether that actually would uh, give us some insights on PET scanning is important.
4: But it's gotta be, also it's gotta be something during stress because- It has stress. I mean, you could do something at rest, but stress is the big inducer here. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other question is a difficult one is, you talked about the Fontaine and its issues and the innovation in the surgery. Is and you're seeing patients rather late in their course. When is the optimal timing, conceivably, to start addressing this?
3: Okay, very important question. I think if the kid is born with two ventricles but what's labeled as unseptatable, we should route them into a congenital corrective transposition uh, physiology, which means that we. We harness the left ventricle as being a subprime ventricle right from the outset. We've started doing this actually at at, uh, at the clinic. And why is this? Because you want to stay away from the single ventricle uh, uh, palliation. Now, not everyone will have two ventricles, and you're going to end up with a failed uh, univentricular circulation with venous hypertension, all the problems that comes with it. And I think it is important that we identify those patients before they start having end complications as in protein losing enteropathy, and plastic bronchitis, and liver failure, and so on. And have an intervention before that. There are a lot of in process now, whether you need to use an assist device, and I think before they start, because we know transplantation for failed fontans is not a great idea, and they don't do as well as the others. So you want to identify them before, you want to make sure that you route them into a track that will lead them into a successful transplantation, otherwise they're doomed for failure. So these are a complex group of patients. And you know what? We're gonna be inundated with those patients. There are more than 1,000 Fontans every year. You could just add them up. There are more than 50,000 now done. So you can imagine how these patients are gonna to continue to rise and we will flood our systems really.
4: <coughs> no, I think just, you touched upon the magnitude of the issue today and the complexity of it. Certainly not coronary disease here, and uh, and I think it's going to get more complex. So therefore, people with expertise just like yours, and grooming the n- next generation of physicians, be it the cardiologists interested in, in the in the field, as well as the surgeons. And aren't too many people going into surgery? So uh, ideally, you know, this is a, a niche for for future growth. And I think that's very much needed.
3: Absolutely. And you know what? Even for administrators, this is a good business model, to be honest. Yeah. It's true, it is an area that will have your interventional cardiologists work more, your electrophysiologists <laughs> work more, your <laughs> imaging work more, and your surgeons work more, <laughs> provided you can offer this. Because there's a huge armamentarium of procedures that you could do for those patients. So as even a business model for any enterprise, it's an amazing area that, that you can true. grow and you can guarantee that you will succeed. So uh, indeed, what you've said is correct, is create the sense of excellence and grow it and feed it in a way
4: that you could actually serve these patients. Sunny, it's it's so good to have you and share your wisdom, your experience and your innovation with us. And I think uh, it's really been amazing. Grand Rounds, I would would urge you to take a look at this Grand Rounds and, and look into innovation in your own center and yourself. Uh, what you could bring to the fore. So thank you again and look forward to seeing you again uh, next week or another channel. Thank you.
0: Adult congenital heart disease teams are an exciting opportunity to advance patient care and a promising business model. Let us know what you think about these topics using hashtag CVNow on Twitter and tag us at DeBakeyCVEDU. If you want to hear more from these speakers, videos of their grand round talks and these interviews are on our DeBakey CV Education YouTube channel just click the link below in the show notes. If you're interested in taking a deeper dive into adult congenital heart disease, DeBakey CV Education hosts an an annual ACH symposium every fall. It's a great opportunity for patients and healthcare professionals to learn about the latest in ACHD management, and CME credits are available. Find out more at our website, houstonmethodist.org forward slash debakey-cv-education. And thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Click the subscribe button. Leave a review if you can. It really helps us get our podcast out there. And if you want to follow us, go to Debakey CV Education on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.